Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Family is from Minnesota, so he's around, and we're going to the Lynx game later tonight. So what is up, Eric? How are you? Matthew, I'm, I'm pumped uh, to be in this great state uh, for the better part of the summer. Uh, the weather is much nicer here than it is in Cincinnati, um, even if the football team isn't. In, in what way, By the like with the weather? Is it just more humid there? It's pretty humid here. It's pretty humid here, but it's about 10 degrees colder. Oh, okay. or cooler, right? Like it's not yeah. cold here, but like, and the humidity isn't quite as high here as it is. So, like, you know, Minnesota's a beautiful place. One of the redeeming qualities, a lot of lakes, right? You have a lot of things that can regulate the temperature more. Cincinnati, you have the Ohio River, which is like brown. It's also like a ways <laughs> away from the suburbs where I live. Uh, whereas here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you have you know bodies of water kind of consistently sprung up. Uh, in different places. So, uh, yeah, it's nice here. Weather analysis. Uh, it's going to be 100 next week, I think. So let me, uh, you know, this isn't a fans-only podcast, but I have to open a diet, Dr. Pepper, because we are in my sun porch, and it is Cincinnati hot in my sun porch. But, um, okay, so last time you were here, we played a game of myth or legend, and people enjoyed the game of myth or legend. So what we do is talk about a particular issue, and we go through like what the general thinking about it is and whether that's actually true or not as pertaining to the Vikings. So we'll just go back and forth naming them. If you missed the previous episode, it was really fun. Go back and find it. We talked about kickers and Andre Patterson and all sorts of myths and legends from Vikings lore. So some will be recent and current and others will be you know from the past. So I'm going to kick this off for you. The 3-4 defense. I've gotten a lot of questions this offseason about how the 3-4 defense will impact the Vikings, how it works, what differences it makes. Is the 3-4 defense a myth or a legend? Uh, insofar as the Vikings are changing from a 4-3 to a 3-4, it's an absolute myth. Like, um, you know, the Vikings, by the way, this is an interesting stat. Um, since Chris Dolman, so like since basically the Jerry Burns era, the Vikings have been a base 3-4 defense three games of the Ed era. In 2005, they dealt with injuries on the defensive line. They moved to a 3-4 for three games, were somewhat effective. That's been it, right? Um, back then, back in 05, when they did it, it actually mattered. That difference was a, was a pretty big distinction and for a couple of reasons, right? So in a base defense, a base four, three or three, four, one of the sort of like one of the outside backers has to drop into coverage or else it is a blitz. Um, and so one of those guys would not be what we would consider a typical edge rusher. So I think back to like the giants with Lawrence Taylor, like he, like Micah Parsons is kind of a traditional version of that or a, sta a contemporary version of that. Like that linebacker would drop into coverage. He'd, he'd pressure, he'd, you know, but his pressures were more like blitzes and that kind of thing. Um, nowadays where, you know, anywhere from seven, you know, 70 to 80% of downs, even early downs are played in sub packages. So nickel dime or, or lighter usually. So you know, and this has evolved too. It used to go a team that was a three-four base would take out one of those linebackers and play three-three-five um, when they went to nickel. And again, one of those three linebackers had to sorry, two of those three linebackers had to drop into coverage to have a, a traditional four-man rush. And then over time, what you ended up having was actually one of those three defensive linemen comes out of the game when you play nickel. 
and so it's a two four five. And so those two outside backers are effectively the outside pass rushers that are equivalent to defensive ends in what would be Mike Zimmer's four two five. And so the distinction is basically nothing, right? The distinction is, you know, nowadays, you know, every team's a nickel and two four five and four two five are essentially the exact same defense. So uh it, it's basically a myth right now. Um, you know, even even, you know, especially on late downs, outside defense, you know, outside linebackers who are more comfortable doing so, even in three four defenses will put their hand in the grass. So really it's the it's somewhat of an, an adjustment for players like Hunter who are normally putting their hand in the grass to stand up, that standing up only happens on early downs. Um, so uh, it, it really is a myth as far as the difference is concerned. And I think that the personnel things that they did for this year really show you how mythological the change is because they signed another defensive tackle. Like back in the day, if you were playing a traditional 3-4, I mean, you would have your Casey Hampton, your Ted Washington, your Gilbert Brown, and that dude would stick the middle in the 3-4, and that was his job, and that's all he did. You didn't need more defensive tackles like you do if you're playing in a nickel where you're going to have multiple guys like that. You have the five-technique type of rusher who might be qualified as a defensive tackle, but usually that's a pass rusher, and that's not what Harrison Phillips is. Like They went out and got dudes who could stuff the middle in pretty much the same way that they would do last year with Michael right. Pierce and with Delvin Tomlinson. They also got one linebacker in free agency in Jordan Hicks. If the 3-4 was the 3-4, they probably would have needed more linebackers than that. And when you look up Zadarius Smith and how much he dropped into coverage in a 3-4 in Green Bay, uh, the answer is almost never. I mean, maybe like once per game that Zadarius Smith was dropping into coverage. So he was blitzing all the time. So there will be some nuances and some base package things that look a little bit different, but it's essentially going to be like the two edge rushers, the two fat guys in the middle, the two linebackers. Like there isn't going to be anything that's really different there. I do think though in the past, and this is sort of unfortunate that this has gone by us and that the league is so much different that the Wade Phillips 3-4, the Pittsburgh Steelers 3-4 with those great linebackers, the Greg Lloyd, the Kevin Green, you know, the LeVon Kirkland, Jason Gilden, like all those guys, that was pretty awesome. I mean, it was really great to talk about those nuances, but also have all these linebackers on the field all the time. Uh, that's just not something we're going to see. And I also think based on what Mike Pettin did in Green Bay, and now Mike Pettin is here, I mean, you could probably see more dime and then it looks nothing like it's like the complete opposite. They've they've actually taken on a Madden strategy. One of the Madden strategies from back in the day was play dime all the time. And like you'll just tackle them with your corners if they run. It's not that big of a deal on the video game, but you want to play more corners and double team people and stuff. That's kind of what some NFL teams are doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little more of that from the Vikings. Yeah, I think that, you know, Back in the day, it's it's sort of how Belichick created his edge, right? Because you know you had the base four three. I think Vikings fans will remember you had you had Henry Thomas who would line up over the center, and that you know shaded you know cocked towards the center, and then you have John Randall playing the the three technique. Those guys are called defensive tackles in the four three. The nomenclature, you know, John Randall would be considered a defensive end in the three four because the two interior play defensive ends are interior players in the three four. Name wise, defensive ends are edge players in the four three name wise, and then defensive tackles. That's sort of where the distinction is. And Belichick always took advantage of this because the Ted Washingtons, the the Vince Wolforks, those guys, the Jarvis Greens, and uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the um, Alan Branch. Was Alan there. Branch was yeah. one. He also Danny Ty, Shelton. Ty Warren was a guy he drafted high, and like you know, the traditional four threes needed the defensive linemen, the interior linemen, to be able to rush up field. The Tampa twos, where you had you know Warren Sapp and guys like that, and the three fours needed those guys to eat space when the league was more run heavy. Nowadays. Even the three, four guys are all two gappers, right? They're, they're one gappers, I'm sorry. They're, they're all penetrating. And so that distinction is, again, completely ignored. But back in the day, it was a big time. You needed to have that. And, and linebackers, too. Like, there was always that thing. Ray Lewis was a middle linebacker in the 4-3 because he could take on double teams and stuff like that if the guys in front of him weren't great. When they moved to the 3-4 and it was him and Bart Scott, 
you know, both guys had to take on guards now, but there was two of them. So it was a little bit of a different distinction. You know, now it's it's sort of, you know, to your point, you have, you know, the two inside backers. Well, those two guys are lined up in the same exact spot. Like, you know, Eric Hendricks and and um, and Jordan Hicks are going to be lined up exactly where Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr were lined up in the old dime. It's just that, you know, the guys in front of them, one of the, you know, two of them are standing up versus, you know, having their hand in the grass. And to your point about dime, like, I think this is where the actual distinction is going to be between now and Zimmer's defense, which is Zimmer almost never played six defensive backs. He always trusted, you know, Barr and Kendricks to sort of be coverage guys, and, you know, they, they mostly delivered for him. Now it's going to be different than the Madden dime. The Madden dime is two slot players. The actual real dime that teams run is, is there's still two linebackers, but one of them's a safety, and and he's sort of going to be there covering tight ends or running backs in a more fleet of foot way. Right, and I think that's where Cam Bynum comes into this, that if you're starting Lewis Seen and Harrison Smith, that Cam Bynum can play that extra spot, or you can have Harrison Smith move up and play Cam Bynum as a deep safety. So there's a lot of options that they have there. I, I agree with you that if you're talking about what is the major difference that we actually notice by how they play defense, it's probably having three safeties on the field more often because also you have to play to your personnel and Cam Bynum showed that he could be a pretty good player. But I think in in the big picture, when you're saying defensive scheme, four three three four, we're going to go into camp and there's going to be a lot of questions for the players hey, how's this defense different in the 3-4? And every one of the answers is going to be like, well, we play a lot of nickels. So, it's also I, a good way to show like which like content creators you can listen to because it's sort of like if you actually know you know that distinction, you know that helps a lot. And if you're not, you're kind of, you know, you, you sort of have to wonder how much this person has been paying attention to the NFL as a whole. Um, but but it, it's going to be, like I, I think, you know, if you're optimistic about this team, like I think, the optimism comes from the creativity that they can have, yep. right? You know, Zimmer was very much, and, and Zimmer was creative in different ways, like he, you know, especially the New Orleans playoff game where he had Hunter and Griffin play in interior. You know, like that was what the Vikings saw in the Green Bay look with Hunt, with uh, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith in nineteen, but they were just standing up over the guards as opposed to having their hand in the grass. Uh, you know, it's it, there's going to be, I think, creative ways in which the Vikings can be better than they were a season ago. I, I wonder sometimes, though, the base scheme, like, is Ed Donatel going to be able to outcoach what Mike Zimmer was? That's a good question. Right. And uh, a lot of it, too, is you need many of the bets to hit on defense. And yeah. what I've always thought is, aside from some really bad defensive coordinators, of which there are a few, probably one in Washington, D.C., maybe, uh, maybe an antiquated one, but most mostly what it comes down to is everything else in the NFL comes down to players personnel how healthy are you the good players can make up for mediocre schemes and 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 when given a great scheme with Mike Zimmer great players are great and are number one in the league and as soon as he doesn't have great players it's not so good anymore and that's the league so um anyway yeah I think that that's what it ultimately comes down to and not three four versus four three really at all it's does Patrick Peterson continue to play well like he did last year? Does Cam Dantzler step up? Does Andrew Booth Jr. play? Does Lewis Seen step right in? Do they pressure the quarterback with anyone else but Zadarius Smith and Daniel mm-hmm. Hunter? Like Those things will determine what matters the most. Um, what do you have for me for myth or legend? Yeah, this is going to piggyback kind of on this, on this next statement, but myth or legend, the Vikings upgraded from Mike Zimmer – this offseason mm-hmm. well since i can't answer tbd because that's just not yeah, a good yeah. answer you have to, you have to make a prediction here, right. which is like I not think, a good answer i'm going to say that in certain ways the answer will be yes and in certain ways the answer will be no uh in order to be a top 10 coach in the league which i think mike zimmer was for the majority of his time as the vikings coach I don't think he was one and I don't think he was five, but I think he might've been like eight to 12 when he, when he had some of his worst moments, he's still not anywhere near a below average NFL coach. And the record bears that out. And the quarterbacks bear that out Ask, go through and ask how many of the supposed best coaches in the league have Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, 
Kirk Cousins and end up being considered one of the better coaches in the league. There's probably not that many who have had a quarterback carousel. It's like, man, that Mike Tomlin, like, right. Never missed the playoffs. Can't imagine why now recent years, but like for the vast majority, Ben Roethlisberger's an elite quarterback. Um, But anyway, uh, you know, I think that they can be way stronger in sports science and believing in the numbers. And I think that matters now how much it matters. Um, you know, it's percentage points, right? Like this is a league where almost everybody is good outside of like three teams a year can beat you on a, on a daily basis. I remember when the New York jets were absolutely horrific and then like beat the Rams one day, like any yeah. Mike white threw for 400 yards one day. Like these things can happen in the NFL and percentage points matters. Like the Vikings should have been in the playoffs last year based on a win that they should have gotten against the Arizona Cardinals. But Mike Zimmer, not understanding at all how to make in-game decisions by the numbers completely botched that game. And then they, you know, they blame the kicker at the end. It's like, if we could only find who is responsible for needing that kick at the end, those extra three yards where the kick is good. If you gain an extra three yards, that's what I mean. And not only that, but there were fourth down punts that didn't make any sense. Like this was the end of halves. Just get one and you're in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the point where it's like the game management, the sports science of not riding players too hard because you get mad at them in the middle of the season, making decisions that are less based on your anger and emotions, which sometimes worked out. I mean, sometimes Zimmer would get ticked off and then be super aggressive and it would be amazing. But then the next week he would punt from the 38. Like you Mm -hmm. just never knew. And so a more consistent approach, I think that it's not just being nicer to players. I think the specifics of a culture are like, if some player is upset about how he's being used, I think a lot of times Mike Zimmer would be like, you signed a contract, do what you're supposed to do, which I think is like kind of fair, but also it's just not the world today. The guy signed a contract for $15 million. He gets a say. So instead of saying, sorry, Stefan Diggs, I'm not listening to you. You do what you're supposed to do because we paid you. If you say, hey, Adam Thielen, here's kind of why we're thinking that we want to do it this way. And he gives you feedback. Well, can we find some place in the middle or can we understand? Can we have a conversation? I think Zimmer wanted no part of any conversation with players about how they played football. And that's just, to me, not a great strategy. Is there a win in that like probably not wins above replacement win but is there one situation where something that a player is more comfortable with turns out to succeed that helps you get into the playoffs that doesn't I think that's possible however Mike Zimmer being a tough guy this is a tough game it is a tough game and the things that Mike Zimmer went through during his time here and made the playoffs despite that had winning seasons despite it, never let it fall completely off the the tracks despite all of those things, that's hard. And you have to be hard on guys a lot of times. So, And I also think Mike Zimmer was absolutely brilliant with football, absolutely brilliant, like one of the smartest people I have ever heard speak about the game. How many players did Mike Zimmer ever misevaluate in his time as a Viking? Coach, I can't think of any. Like any player that they cut out of camp who went to another team and thrived any player who he didn't start. And then he should have like, Oh man, they were holding back. Whoever, what are you going to tell me? Brett Jones? Like really like that to me, his ability to scheme and his ability to pick out the right scheme for Kirk cousins for the vast majority. Like these are things that don't come easy. He could game plan against any team in the entire NFL, any coach head to head, Mike Zimmer could do that. Evaluate and game plan. Those things matter. Can Kevin O'Connell do that? That's where we're going to find out if it's myth or legend. So the answer, unfortunately, is TBD. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably probably neither. That Kevin O'Connell is probably a good coach who is handcuffed by the same problems Mike Zimmer was, but for different reasons. You know, I was a very, you know, I'm one of the Vikings' biggest critics sometimes, and I think... At the end there, I thought Zimmer had to go. I thought it was a, a you know a necessary thing. It's not mistakable though. Like, I mean, when you, and I know Patrick Royce was he on was he on your show when he when he rated the coaches? Yes, yes, that, yes. That was, yep. was hysterical. I, Patrick's a legend. I love Patrick. Put like Zimmer like eighth or something, and it was honestly hilarious. I I have Zimmer a little higher. You don't beat Aaron Rodgers six times. 
and and the Packers seven times. That's the most I believe since Dennis Green. And Dennis Green, he beat the Packers five of the first six times they faced him. You know, like that was back when Favre and you know Dennis was probably the second best coach in in the history of the franchise. You don't. It, so I think about it this way: the the Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota was an era where the Vikings were good enough. The, Zimmer was a good enough defensive coach to beat great quarterbacks, right? So they beat Breeze twice in 2017. They beat Breeze in 2019. Um, you know, they beat Rodgers six times during the course of that time. They never beat Brady, but they they had moments, right? Like the 2015 Broncos, you know, that was a Super Bowl team. They lost to them at the end at the buzzer, right? Like this Vikings team with Zimmer was competitive against the league's best quarterbacks, which is hard to do, right? The Kirk Cousins Vikings offense has never been competitive against the league's best defenses. Never. Yep. Like they've never been. So when you flip this, right, in my opinion, Ed Donatel's defense is not going to be competitive against the league's best quarterbacks. Now they're lucky in, they that, face this, <laughs> in that this year they're not facing tough quarterbacks, so they might – but the the onus on Kevin O'Connell and that offense is to flip that truth about the offense. I totally because, agree. Because if they do that, then this team will be different, right? Because you can never depend upon your defense to win you games. You have to your defense can be competitive and put you get you on the green, but the offense has got to put the ball into the hole. And they could never do that against great defenses with Kirk Cousins and the cornucopia of offensive coordinators they have with Zimmer. If Kevin O'Connell can answer that question and can can elevate themselves against the league's great defenses, this team will take a step forward. If they can't, I do not believe that Ed Donatel is an upgrade over Zimmer, ultimately, on that side of the ball. Folks, want to remind you to go to sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. It is summertime. It's baseball season. They have all sorts of great Minnesota baseball gear. And if you are prepping for training camp, get your Purple People Eaters shirt, your Can't Stop the Thielen hat, and all sorts of other great football designs. Go there, sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But what you're totally right that what will determine whether this team is in the playoffs or not is when they face a team that has a good pass defense, can they find a way? And the problem was that they had no counterpunch. It was like, we're going to play, Delvin Cook runs first, and then we run a play action and we hit a big pass. And if that doesn't work, I have no idea what to do. That was their offense. And like, think about the game against Dallas. So it's the Cooper Rush game. I mean, amazing, right? But, like, the reason that they could not move the ball against Dallas is because they had great pass rush. Micah Parsons is out there just destroying people. Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory, like, they had this great defensive line. And the Vikings didn't run well in that game. And then all of a sudden, what happens? You have no answer when you don't run well. That's Kevin O'Connell's big thing. Can you answer... When you're not running the ball, because when they're running well, and you guys have seen this with your PFF data, linebackers start moving. They yeah. they react. Linebackers react, and this is something we knew intuitively anyway. They react differently to different running backs because they are coached throughout the week to react differently to different running backs because a lot of teams would say, we're not letting Delvin Cook beat us. The problem is they should have always said, let's let Delvin Cook beat us because if you do that, then it forces Cousins and the offense to have a counterpunch um, to be able to beat your too deep defense or something like that. And they just never had it. And if it's right. been a four man rush or you could stop the run with four guys up front, then it was just kind of over. And this is where I think there is an answer. And that answer 
is leading into the next myth or legend. The next myth or legend is Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, myth or legend comparison. People comparing the roles, including Justin Jefferson himself in a recent interview with The Ringer. Is that a myth or legend? And let me just say, to finish my point, if it's not a myth, that's your counterpunch, is that you can throw shorter passes and move the football even when your offensive line is being beaten by the opposing defensive line. But is it a myth or is it a legend? So last year the Rams were, I believe, second best in the NFL. And you can look on our website. We have a great work from Timo Risky on PFF.com looking at sort of basically like how open do receivers get, right? We have very finely grained data on that now. And the Rams were the second best in the NFL last year at percentage of plays where at least one wide receiver gets open. Interestingly, Matthew Stafford was not one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL in in avoiding contested passes. Like he, he they were second, but they weren't second in avoid. You know, you, you would imagine that those two things would be perfectly correlated. Right. If okay, a quarterback sure. has perfect decision making, you throw contested passes at a proportion of the time that your receivers don't get open. But, you know, what what we see is guys like Jimmy Garoppolo throw league like top five rates of contested catches, even though the receivers get open better than anybody in football. Because they're throwing uh, to the receiver you're supposed to throw to. Right, he's Ron Burgundy, right? He's, throw, he's throwing to the teleprompter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, his team is like eighth in percentage of plays where a receiver gets open, but they're two, they, he throws to contested targets two and a half percentage points less than any quarterback in football. So when the guy gets open, he finds him, right? Or he makes the guy get open. Or he makes the guy get open. Stafford... Last year, what that data tells me is there were plays where other receivers were open. It was still thrown to Cooper Cup, you know, and and Cooper Cup, you know, and that, you know, Stafford, they won a Super Bowl, flags fly forever. He also threw what should have been an interception to Jaquaski Tart that probably would have failed them. He led uh, the league in picks. He led the league in interceptions, tied with Trevor Lawrence. I think that, so I, the problem is, is I wonder. I do believe that the the Justin Jefferson wasn't used enough is a myth. Okay. Like, when you look at the number of targets he had, I think he was the most targeted player in all football in the regular season. One of them. Yeah, you don't quote me he, on he that. He was in the top ten for sure. He was, he was certainly targeted a lot. He's targeted deep a lot. So yep. the short stuff is really what you're looking for. He was the for. most deep targeted receiver yeah. in the league, I believe. So, so the Vikings tried to get the ball to Justin Jefferson. And they they tried to get him to him in the most efficient passes, which for him are deep balls because of how freakishly athletic he is and how how valuable those are. Kirk Cousins was one of the best quarterbacks in all of football in throwing between ten and nineteen yards yep. last year. Yep. I I question how much juice is left in the orange. You know, like I I think Kirk Cousins was one of the. It, it's interesting. So like this is this is what I want. Like so, Kirk Cousins under pressure had a expected points added value and and you know it depends upon which model you use but basically like 12th in the league which is not bad success rate which is the percentage of plays that earn a positive expected value he was one of the worst quarterbacks in football and 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 just to like match that up to watching every Kirk Cousins throw he makes some great throws under pressure sometimes and hits on big plays it's usually down the field but it's far too often that that pressure just takes them apart. He can't. He yeah. He'll check it down too quick. He'll check it down to a, a play that has no chance. Right. Too much. Yep. And so, I guess this is where this is this is the this is whether it's a myth or a legend. If Kirk Cousins can turn some of those lost plays into throws short or throws near or short of the sticks where Justin Jefferson gives you a chance to convert the way that Cooper Cup gave the Rams a chance to convert. Then the comparison makes sense. If and I, and I do think that that's where you know when you talk about Clint Kubiak, like I think he was too blunt, right? Hey, let's get the ball to Jefferson more. All right, well let's throw the ball deep to Jefferson a lot, right? Let's throw it underneath to him on screens. You got it. And and the intermediate stuff was there, as I said. Kirk was one of the best quarterbacks in football. There is there some meat left on the bone in the intermediate part of the field? to give the ball to Jefferson when Kirk is under pressure, when things aren't perfect. I'm skeptical that Kirk can kind of live in that nuance, but if he can, and if he's tough enough to stand in there and take those hits and things like that, 
and, and take chances to throw interceptions when we know that like because of contract and all that that he's scared to sort of screw up his stats. Like I, I think that that's where, you know, and and that and that and that comes back to, and we've talked about this a number of times. That comes back to the the to why the contract is so bad for Kirk, because if you give him a five year deal, right, you throw a couple picks, right, right, right. you, you yeah. still and, got and, the job. And right? Zimmer, and this goes back to Zimmer, where it's like, you know, if you listen to the show at the end of the Zimmer era, I pointed out all of the shortcomings of Mike Zimmer many times and all the reasons he doesn't have a job anymore. But Mike Zimmer in the middle of last season is openly begging through the media, Kirk cousins to be more aggressive. He even said, Kirk, if you throw an interception, I'm going to, I'm going to be okay with it. If it's pushing it down the field and Kirk came out in his next press conference and he was like, nah, I don't think so. But there's nothing this team, (laughs) there's nothing this team can do because given the current construction of his contract, Kirk isn't just playing for the Vikings. He's sure. Play, yep. He's playing for the next team that's going to give him the bag. And you he know? knows he's well aware that they tried to trade him, which Matt Ryan just said, trade me then. Yeah. yeah under the same circumstances. Right. The Vikings were connected to Deshaun Watson, and they reportedly tried to trade him to Indianapolis and some other teams. At Baker Mayfield thought he was going to be a Viking, and Kirk came back on this very short contract knowing this could be it that they yeah. could trade him after this year. And even though he has the no trade clause, we don't know the details of that no trade clause. So this all ties back into Jefferson where it's like, how can you find throws that Kirk will make to Jefferson at that volume? It's very clear that he's super comfortable making some of the throws to Jefferson, but the idea of throwing to double coverage or pushing it to him like down the field all the time just is not really Kirk's thing and never has been. And that's part of the frustration of Stefan Diggs. It was more directed at Zimmer, but like you could see it all yeah. the time, even in training camp where there, I remember this specifically, there was a check down to CJ ham in a training camp thing. And Diggs was 40 yards down the field, wide open. It just roasted the hell out of somebody and just throws his helmet and goes completely off. Like Kirk, throw me the ball. Yeah. This, this remains a thing. I don't know that that changes, but here's where it can change. If you change the order of operations in the offense, and what I mean is first down in 10, Justin Jefferson, this is your down. Not Delvin Cook's down. Second down in 10, Justin Jefferson, this is also your down. It's not only when we can run a play action. It's not only, uh oh, it's third and 13 and it's time to throw to Justin Jefferson. It's drive the offense if you end up with the same number of yards but they happen in a different order if they happen early in the game if they happen on early downs that's where you're trying to produce more points and produce better drives that becomes more possible but one thing about cousins though he is so terrific at throwing down the field to an open receiver it's it's honestly like spooky how accurate he can be but he doesn't have a quick release and those short passes that they want to do Matt Stafford versus Kirk cousins in pop time. I don't know what it is. Like they have it on the Sunday night football. Like there's the, it took a look at his motion, you know, the Collinsworth, you you got a guy here and you look at his motion. He's getting it out. Kirk cousins has to bring the ball down and bring it all the way up back around because his body generates his velocity as opposed to Matt Stafford or Josh Allen or Mahomes where their arm is is much stronger for the short passing game i mean it's been problematic at times because of that because it's like those catch and then it's gone it's all arm like that's just not really his thing so and he's kind of somebody who does is not instinctual he's not an instinctive quarterback like you said i think there are very few quarterbacks in the league when if he gets to step into a throw that he's they're better than him, yeah. right? I mean, like, his, his PFF accuracy, yeah, is, is like top notch. Well, it's ten to nineteen, and like that's those are and the, and I think you brought up a really good thing, uh, which is sequencing. You know, the the problem with the Vikings' offense, and it's why you know a lot of folks just straight up don't get what the like don't understand Minnesota because it's like, well, why, how could this team have it this EPA and this yards per play and this 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 and this and not score that many points, be like 14th in scoring and, 
you know, how can they go, you know, 15 and 18 the last two years? In fact, 13 and 18, if you take out the two games, it didn't matter. It's sequencing, right? It's the sequencing. Like if you take a deep shot to, to Justin Jefferson and then go three and out and kick a field goal, like statistically, that's a pretty good drive. But mm-hmm. like from a, does this help you win? You know, it's, it's questionable, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of, you know, part of football is being able to be sort of invariant with respect to situation. I mean, Kansas City last year had the least number of drives in football, you know. So, like, they had to live in a situation. Their defense couldn't get them off the field. But they, the highest scoring percentage and fewest punts. Correct. Yeah. So, so what did they do with that? They said, you know, we have – the sequencing is going to matter here. The red zone efficiency is going to have to matter here. And I think for Minnesota, when – you just get so focused, and I, you know, I'm the biggest stat nerd there is. But when you get so focused on certain KPIs for a team, it's like, yeah, but you got to take a step back. Can is this conducive to winning football games? What is KPI? Key performance indicator. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Just so like you just build. I I call I build KPIs. Like actually, I was on the phone today with a good friend, Josh Hermsmeyer, who I know you've had on the show before, yep, yep. and he goes, you know, he's like, some weekends. I just go to the Bengals game and then I just print out the KPIs when I get back and that's that's my watching football for the week. And uh he's like, Oh, that's pretty good, you know. But basically if you if you if teams nail like these seventeen things, you kinda know how the game went. Mm-hmm. Um but I think for Minnesota, like they you know, we they've stressed us into sort of looking at these things. And, and you know, our, our interns Tay uh sorry, Arjun and, and Judah, uh, who who posted this article the other day, it's like Kirk Cousins is really good at doing better than expected, right? When 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 after you sort of look at what the optimal throw is, he does better than me than what's expected on the throw. But he doesn't pick the optimal throw sometimes, yep. right? So it's, yep. it's it's all that kind of stuff where you're like why does this team not have success even though in theory this quarterback is performing well right. and this offense is performing well? You have to find those answers. And that's the the myth part of the Cooper Cup thing, because one thing about Stafford, I think that that man can throw off the shackles of giving a bleep. I don't think Kirk Cousins is capable of that. Like, of just saying, I'm throwing it anyway. Like, that whole uh, bleep it, he's down there somewhere thing. Like, that's not Kirk. So uh, I think that it leans much more toward myth, but that doesn't mean that Jefferson can't have, you know, another Hall of Fame worthy season. It just means that being that outrageous and driving the team's entire success is something to be skeptical. I mean, the, of. the thing that statistically to talk about here is, and it's important for Vikings fans to hear this: Justin Jefferson has the most, and I know he played 17 games in one of these seasons, so whatever, take it for what it's worth. But he has the most yards in the history of the NFL for a wide receiver through two years. And you want more. And you want more. Like, chances are he's not going to be the best wide receiver in football this year. Like, that, that is – and I'm not trying to – this isn't trying to hate or anything. This is saying, like, when a player comes off a career year, like, they're, it, it just oscillates. When Randy Moss had 17 touchdowns as a rookie, he wasn't going to have – like, people are saying, oh, it's just the best is yet to come. It's like, you kind of had the best. You know, right, like, right, right. Th- this was your shot. And I think – you know, to be pessimistic is to say you wasted two years of one of the best receivers that might ever play the game. Do you know how many days they spent above 500 in, in Justin it, Jefferson's career? Not a, not a day. Not a single day. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of where – I'm actually going to back this up a little bit because I, I kind of – there was a there was a tweet that our, our friend Justice Mosqueda came out with, and he said, you know, well, who's the best, second best wide receiver in the NFC North? And it was like Darnell Mooney – uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown, uh, Adam Thielen, and I, and like I think it was like Alan Lazard, and it's like holy buckets, this division is a is a crapshoot, and everybody's like, oh, it's Adam Thielen, it's Curtis Conway, yeah, <laughs> Bobby Wade, myth or legend, Adam Thielen is a top f- five wide receiver in the history of the Vikings. Hmm. Let's see. You have Randy Moss, Chris Carter, and then it gets muddy after that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It gets muddy. Because here's a question. Is at this moment he better than Stephon Diggs? I don't think so. Stephon Diggs had the numbers and the Minneapolis Miracle, 
and got, you know, he got a, a year or two jump on Thielen, but he's probably not because of the miracle. Although, I mean, Thielen's catch against New Orleans in the playoff game is absolutely unbelievable, but it's not like a iconic play. You have some of the old guys like Ahmad Rashad that, you know, Sammy White. Can you put those guys ahead of Adam Thielen? Probably not. Uh, Anthony Carter ends up in this conversation is probably equal at this moment. Anthony Carter had a great career. I mean, he could have been a little more healthy, which would have helped. But the thing about Adam Thielen, though, is when you look kind of at his stats and the, the totality, it looks like it's really two special years. And then it's other stuff that's up and down. Like last year, he's on pace to catch like 98 passes, but gets hurt and then has that problem. And the same thing went for uh, 2019, where he got hurt midway through the season, wasn't the same. That has taken away some of his production. If he had the full season production from 19 and from last year, you're probably talking about saying, yes, he's definitely a top five. Right now, I think that it's, that might be a little bit hard. I mean, and Jake Reed too, like Jake Reed is part of the, the trio that produces one of the best offenses in history. That's something the Vikings haven't done. He also produced one of the Vikings best offenses in franchise history before Randy Moss got there in 1994 in 94. It's one of the best passing offenses ever at that time. And he's the number two wide receiver. He had a short run of absolute greatness with a duo in a similar fashion. So it's probably it's probably Anthony Carter, especially his playoff performance against San Francisco. Right, which we have not seen from Thielen. I mean, he had a great catch against the Saints, but right. like your point. He's probably ahead. And then it's, I would say, Jake Reed and Thielen. But one of the things that is just hard is factoring in the older guys. You know, what is it? Gilliam has a... Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, um, what am I supposed to I do with that? I think those guys are, are, are squarely beneath... You know, because you're not talking about Hall of Fame players. Well, you're throwing for 2,500 yards in a year, though. Right, it's right, like, right. like how do I how do I factor this? You yeah. know, but and they were teams that won. That, that was the other thing. Like, you know, you. So I I I actually put Jake Reed ahead of Thielen because Jake Reed was healthy to healthy enough to have four 1,000 yard seasons in a row. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all those teams were playoff teams except for '95. He had three different quarterbacks. So it was Warren Moon. Brad Johnson, Randall Cunningham. He was second in the NFC, NFL in receiving in 1996. Um, and then, and then, yeah, then he had, as the number three receiver, he was a, a fairly prolific, you know, number three guy. Like Jake Reed's injury-riddled 1998 season as the third receiver was more productive than Adam Thielen in ni- 2019. Um, you know, so I, for me, for my money, and this is somewhat predictive, it goes. Moss Carter Jefferson. I think Jefferson. Oh, okay. You've already. I'm got putting him there? Jefferson already there, and then I'm going probably. And this is where it gets tricky. I think it's Jake Reed, Adam the Jake Reed, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, yeah. Anthony Carter, and I think those last four guys you can sort of jigger, the, you know, reconfigure the order, but that makes Thielen like myth or legend kind of on the borderline as top five in, sure, in team sure. history. I think he ends up obviously getting ring of honor, but Jake Reed should get ring of honor. This I is agree. like sort of my whole thesis is like, I agree. Jake Reed, Anthony Carter, you know, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs should all be honored by the Vikings. They're all phenomenal receivers. And I think we're only prisoners of the moment and saying Thielen was one of the best guys. We go back in time and look a little bit. And I think Jake Reed mm-hmm. uh, deserves a humongous accolade there, especially in a league where it wasn't as pass happy. I mean, they right. were pass happy because he and Carter were so good. Um, but it was not a pass happy league environment for him the way it is now. So I wasn't putting Justin Jefferson there yet because it's only been two seasons. But you know what's weird about Jefferson is he might have been the player from the first day that he started where I was like, yep. That I mean, this is going in a direction. Yeah. This is not random. This is not who am I? There's nothing fluky about right. this. This is not David Boston. Right. This is also not like one of those Jonas Gray situations where the guy has a great game and it's on national. This TV. isn't Kelly Campbell. The minute that he had that game against Tennessee for 175 yards, 
I was like, this is special. And I mean, if anyone knows special receiving play, it's people who watch the Vikings all the time. Like you just know it. Yeah, they They're, might, they might be, I mean, th- this franchise might have the best receivers collectively in league history. I think the question becomes, and like, this is dark, but I'm going to say it anyway. If Jefferson leaves after this year, yeah, right. Then and and let's say he has a comparable year, like fourteen hundred yards, hundred catches, ten touchdowns. Where does he rank in the league? Because he's clearly above Jake Reed. If you put like yeah. three straight one thousand yard years, and not just like eleven hundred yard years like Reed had, yep. but but like I mean, he's ahead of Diggs, right? Diggs is Diggs was a phenomenal Viking, but statistically, like he didn't have a thousand yard season until I believe twenty. 17 or 18 i i remember people complaining about that yeah yeah and they were run. you know they were an interesting team back then they were very much a mike zimmer team uh run pass ratio and they also didn't have quarterbacks i mean here's the thing that to me like dings Thielen versus jake reed is like you know cousins isn't better than moon was but moon was at the end of his career brad johnson had some moments but he wasn't as good as kirk and then you know by the time cunningham took over like Cunningham at the beginning before he got hot taking over for Brad Johnson was not as good as Kirk. So like you had consistency at the QB position. Right. You had a quarterback that is in large part in the red zone preferred you and your outputs have been great, but not, I would say as good, you know, as Jake Reed, for example, in Vikings history. So no, it's a, it's a really interesting question of where that kind of shakes out. But the, uh, the Jefferson point, I mean, <laughs> That it's one that like you just don't want to talk too loudly about, even though it's realistic. And, you know, I this is this is sort of like the when you talk about why they went the direction they went. The one point that's very difficult to defeat, because you and I both believe that they should have taken a reset of their roster and dropped back a little bit and take a longer view as opposed to some of the things that they did short term. But the one point that's tough to defeat is. Right, but if they win five games, what's Justin Jefferson doing this offseason? And it's like, well, right. Yeah, I don't know. Because I think that guy, see, he wants to be a legend. But it's hard to be a legend if you never win. Like, everyone gets, like, who's but, but, to, to who, but who's spin- ever saying, like, oh, this guy had great stats, but, like, whatever. If you are on a franchise that never wins and you get 100 catches a year, no one cares about you. But I would I would implore my brothers in Christ on this point <laughs> to to look at A.J. Brown. When you pay a and and actually, look, it depends upon your taste. But Tannehill's a Kirk. He's yep. a good quarterback who's paid a lot. Tannehill's had more success. I think a lot of people would say because of the run game and a great coach and a great defense. But whatever. What did winning twelve games and not getting close to a Super Bowl do to keep AJ Brown in Tennessee? When yep. you were paying, and again, this is I, I'm not saying this is you have a running back who's making twelve and a half million. You have a quarterback that's making thirty something million, who's good but not great, much like the Vikings. You have a defense that's kind of, eh. and you have, and the difference obviously was a great head coach in Mike Vrabel versus what the Vikings had, which was a an atrophying, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer. But I mean, that team won nine games in AJ Brown's rookie year, eleven games last year, and twelve games in the one seed, and the economics got away from the Titans in that case yep. too. Like, th- this isn't even about necessarily, you know, Super Bowl or anything. It's quarterback guys making X amount of money, old safety, old other wide receiver, defensive, you know, and right. are all making this. Jefferson's going to make – I mean, by next year, Jefferson's going to be worth $35 million in the open market. Right. Can you really dedicate, you know, 70-ish, 65, 70-ish no. million – to a middling court, not you know, an above-average quarterback and a great wide receiver, especially if you haven't. And I think what covers all the multitude of sins is what the Rams did, which is to win a Super Bowl. Then everybody's coming back, and we're and we're pushing stuff around and everything. But if they win ten games, what's the difference? Does Jefferson does Jefferson's opinion change at all if they win ten games and lose in the first round of the playoffs? See, I think that well, first. Cousins, because of this, if you keep Jefferson, cannot be here for more than two years. You just can't. Like, there's no way to afford him uh, at the price that he's going to ask for. But I do think with Justin Jefferson that the quarterback he plays with and his chances to win a Super Bowl are going to matter to him. That's just from spending a lot of time listening to Justin Jefferson talk. I think it, I think it matters. 
the way in which this man talks about Joe Burrow, the way he talks about LSU and winning a championship and what that meant to him and the frustration that you see from him, which, you know, you could say that for some play. Oh, every player hates to lose. No, no. There are different guys. There are guys who absolutely despise are eaten alive by losing. And Jefferson knows that his stats are great. He knows his stats are going to be great. He knows he's going to get paid wherever he goes. I think he wants to win. And the other thing about A.J. Brown is like, are the are the Titans going to win? Like, I mean, you're looking forward. Like, probably not, right? Like, they're, they're but, not going up. They're not ascending. And that's a team that has won two straight AFC yeah. South titles, you know, have made the playoffs in three consecutive years. Right. Has made it to the AFC title game when he was a rookie. But that that – you sort of like the question isn't even like and th- and this I guess is like where why I think Vikings fans need to start thinking about this because the the question about Tennessee isn't can we win 10 games are we going to go over 9 mm-hmm. wins are we going to you know make the make the 7 seed in a bad NFC for Brown it was are we going to win the Super Bowl and like and that, and of course, like he goes to Philly, and like Philly's not necessarily a Super Bowl contender, but they're on the up and up, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, yep. Yep. and they have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And Tyreek Hill went to Miami. That's a quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, you know, I mean, even even across the pond over here, Green Bay, across the river, like Rodgers makes what he makes. Adams can't make what he makes, right? So he's got to go out of here. You know, like that. That is a tricky situation. You know, the next quarterback, you know, so we, we look at, um, let's say, Zach Wilson or, you know, uh, you know, even if it was like Trevor Lawrence and like I know they're, they're cap strapped and stuff like that. But like, let's say the Jets come calling. They got one more year on Zach Wilson, cheap money. Justin Jefferson might be what they think they need to compete with Buffalo, you know, like, yep. you know, that kind of thing. So it, it's just the economics of it. And I don't I honestly don't know anything shy of like a Super Bowl run for this team you know, it's going to satisfy Jefferson. Right, because the timing of he and Kirk, if you can't win it with Cousins, and then there's another quarterback that's going to have to be here. So really, it comes down to, if you draft a quarterback next year, how satisfied is Jefferson with that? Or does he just sign it to be a Viking for life, essentially? But I don't know if that's what he's got to do. I mean, he got first-round money. It's not like he's struggling. Like All of these all of these players want to win. Yeah. And we, and like, I, you know... We look at every single, every single wide receiver that they've traded away. Moss, you know, uh, <laughs> Percy Harvin, Diggs, like all of them had a, a level of success. I mean, the 2012 Vikings went to the playoffs with Percy Harvin. I know he was hurt for the second half of the year, but that team wasn't like the worst team in football. And he's like, still kind of like, I, I don't want to play with Ponder. I'm out. Right. Like, I want to go to Percy. Seattle. Yeah, Percy. Um, the 04 Vikings were 8-8, eight and eight and they won a playoff game in Green Bay, and Moss wanted out. You know, the, uh, Diggs, I mean, that 2019 Vikings team made the playoffs, and, you know, yep. the, the Niners showed them how far they were, but, like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, this. it doesn't have to be the most dysfunctional thing in the world to want a player to leave, mm-hmm. you know, for, yep. for a player to want to leave. Uh, let me give you, because... You know, we're just hanging out talking like we would be essentially just recording it um, before we go to this game. But so let me throw you one more since we have time. Vikings myth or legend. The Vikings will never win a Super Bowl. The Vikings will win the Super Bowl. Here, here, I mean, I guess here's my here's my thought. Okay. Unless we have something like. Had it like it if foot if if this league plays for a hundred more years they're gonna win a Super Bowl like come on <laughs> Matthew over here is like kind of like shrugging his shoulders like the like the uh, the okay. dude that the dude that took Michael Jordan in one of those parlor games before a game but uh, here but here's where I came from the Buffalo Bills are a field goal away the Buffalo Bills were 13 seconds away yeah. from probably being the team that wins the Super Bowl I think they're better than Los Angeles. And I know they're better than Cincinnati. I mean, then I come here and you see all the things, all the times, the fact that the Vikings are top 10 in win percentage for all franchises and all other nine have Super Bowls. I mean, ever like as in 
before we get too close to the sun and it kills us all. Well, that's right? the thing. I mean, I can't, I can't account <laughs> yeah. for like fascism or you know, uh, climate change or whatever. Like I, I said, fascism it, likes football. Like that'll be the last if, thing to go. If we play a hundred, if we play a hundred years, they have to win one. I, but, but that's like a famous last words. I mean, does De- Detroit has Detroit hasn't won a playoff game since the salary cap. Detroit hasn't won a division since the salary cap. The Browns haven't won a division since free agency. I mean, how plan about the Jets a or Plan B? How about the Jets? I mean, like since yeah. Joe Namath. But and and I guess like here's my here's my here's what I I hate saying. This franchise hasn't been that successful. Like the and this is what I hope you know. If you're a Vikings fan, like you 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 hold this team to a higher standard. This team has won two playoff games a decade, basically, for the last 30 years, right? Like, you know, the Dennis Green year. I mean, I guess that the late 90s, they, they swung a couple, say the four or five. You know, they won a playoff game, what, 2000? One of them. Oh, oh, they've never won. They haven't won more than one playoff game in a, in a season since 1987. I was one years old. You know, this team has not been successful. You know, they, they've, they've been okay you know, consistently. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, like when you look at the Buffalo bills, for example, you know, they take over that team. Sean McDermott takes over that team and they go nine and seven. They weren't even trying. I mean, they played a, a preseason game against the Vikings. And then the next day they traded Sammy Watkins and, and Ronald Darby and they still make the playoffs. And instead of like patting themselves on the back and getting all excited, they, they, Get rid of Tyrod Taylor. They trade up for Josh Allen. They trade up for Trey Mayne Ammons. And now they're on the doorstep. Does that mean they'll ever win one? No. But that's the kind of like urgency if you're a Vikings fan, yeah. you need to see from this team. Like, if they are satisfied with a 10 and 7 season, like, then the answer is no to your question, unless they <laughs> get lucky. But I'm fairly confident the Bills are gonna be close to a Super Bowl in the next 10 years, just because of the way that they've approached it all. And they've been relentless in sort of trying to get that right quarterback, trying to get that right coach. And now that they have one, you know, it might not be the year like this year where they're favored. It might be a year where they back ass into it. But they'll be in the mix. When you are satisfied with eight and eight seasons, eight, nine and one seasons or whatever the heck, you need two lucky things to happen to win the Super Bowl. The first lucky thing is what happened in 2017, which is you have a great year and you're in the mix. And then the next lucky thing that has to happen is you win it all. That's tough to do. That's a parlay. When the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 19, they were in the mix a priori. And then the lucky thing had to be, oh, the Titans knock off the Ravens in round two, and then you're in, right? Be one of those teams that only needs one lucky thing to happen. Right, and that's why when I investigated how many wins it takes to be a Super Bowl team and found it's 12, it's like, well, that's the standard then. Any season less than 12 wins is you didn't really legitimately put yourself in a position to win the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean that no team with less than 12 wins ever possibly could get there, as we saw from Cincinnati. But that is what it takes to be, like you said, in the mix to win a Super Bowl. So if you run it back all this year and you win nine and you get in the first round, you did not have a successful season to me. Not not a truly you were in a chance to win the Super Bowl. If you go through these two years and you call this your last window of Kirk and both years you don't win 12, then you failed. That I mean, because the goal is to get yourself in the mix for a Super Bowl. Yeah. It's not to just make the playoffs. And the idea that you could just make the playoffs and get lucky and win the Super Bowl is pretty much like not existent. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Do, do I think ever? Yeah, I always think you're one Josh Allen away, one Mahomes away. But you like, have to take the shot. But you at have the, to draft him. And, and that was the thing. I, I actually, you know, so we we do the post mortem, and Spielman's been obnoxious going on these podcasts and everything. I'll give PFF. I'll get yeah, including including Steve's. <laughs> I will not have him on my show. But here here's what I'll say. He at least took two swings at the quarterback in the draft. Yeah. And he took a swing on Cousins. His biggest mistake was the swing he didn't take, which is. Post 2019 to just, you know, I mean, because, and I'm not saying they could have got Herbert. I'm not saying they could have got Burrow. I'm not saying they could have got two, you know, a number of things could have happened, right? Like Jordan Love was taken in that draft too. 
but if you like Buffalo went nine and seven, and they and they and when there was a will, there was a way, and they went up to seven and got Josh Allen with the trade. Herbert was picked sixth. You don't think that you could have gotten up and gotten Herbert if you if you wanted it hard enough, right? Especially considering you were going to trade Diggs. So the again, Spielman was. You know, I think if you, you know, it's sort of one of those things you put your one foot on hot coals and one foot on ice, and on average, you're good. You're, 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 you're well regulated. But like Spielman, on average, I think was an okay GM. The biggest mistake he made was the last time he didn't take a stab at QB. He was 0 for 3, and he should have, he should have went, he, he should have went up to the plate again. Well, and Mac Jones as well. Like just and there was a Mac, the yeah. Mac Jones thing was, I don't know how much Mac Jones does for them last year, but. There's a level of hope, and and there's a there's at least the or, or Justin Fields though. I mean, they made the disbelief. phone call. They yeah. made the phone call and said, but I think I think if it's Mac Jones this year, with Justin Jefferson, Thielen, the weapons you have, and the cheapness of Mac Jones, you're talking about a good spot. And, so. and what you could have got for Kirk. I also think give it a hundred years, they'll win one at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I don't know if by that time we will all have been sucked into a black hole. But maybe. Um, anyway, myth or legend, a legendary game, if you will. And, uh, glad to have you, Eric, as always. Now we have to go to Lynx Mercury. You talk about some legends. <laughs> the Mercury are full of legends who are mad at each other. Still, Mercury so. is what we measure the seat, uh, upon oh, which, seat. uh, Vanessa coach Nygaard is, yeah. is sitting. That's going to be for our next WNBA podcast. But, uh, thank you all for listening as always. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you later.